with an apology, actually. I need to apologize to Zibia. It's all right. You don't know who that is, most likely. And, uh, and she's not even alive anymore. But uh, after talking about Joash last week, uh, Scott took me quietly aside and, uh, and opened the Bible and just kind of... It's right there. I said Joash, did, Joash didn't have a mom. Or he had a mom, but he didn't know his name. And it's actually just right there. So at the beginning of chapter 12 of 2 Kings says his mother's name was Zibia. So Scott caught that, thankfully, uh, for me. He was able to point that out very graciously. And I uh, just wanted to pass that on as well, that uh, Joash does have a mom. She has a name. And, and so we can kind of close, close the loop on that one. We're not going to uh, stay with Joash this morning anymore. But as uh, we go on now, uh, moving forward from, from hope, as we talked about last week, uh, I'm going to pray before we move into our, our next topic of Advent. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word given to us in Jesus. Your word given to us through, uh, through scripture over the generations and your work in bringing that together. And we trust it and we trust you. And we pray that uh, the message this morning would be your own and that you would reveal that more, more than the messenger. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I was going to begin again, then I would begin with a greeting. Shalom. I know that uh, most of us don't really practice a lot of Hebrew anymore, but uh, for those that have been around Bible, the Bible, or biblical scholars, or biblical teachers, or leaders, perhaps it's not a completely unfamiliar term. Shalom. In uh, the Old Testament, that's what typically gets translated as peace. So when we read in Isaiah, as was read here earlier, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And that is our topic this morning, is peace. We've come from uh, hope last week, uh, the beginning of something as Jesus came, and now we go into the beginning of shalom. There's more about just shalom than peace. And that's the, the beauty of translating things sometimes, is definitions can get wrapped up in a word to mean more than just the word itself. And there's more in there, so we have to explain it with a whole bunch of other words. Sometimes English does, English does this in reverse, where we have a word that means a whole bunch of other things, uh, and other times it's, it's the former, where we would say something like shalom, and it means more than just peace, even though we translate it as peace. There's a lot in there. So to try and define this a bit, we need to back up Back up quite a ways, actually. Back up to in the beginning. Not this time in the beginning was the Word. Well, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was good. And as God created, and we have the story of that, and we have the story of the Garden of Eden, and we have the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with God. And we get the sense from that story, kind of when we see the breaking of the story, that there was this communion, this completeness, this unity, this peace, this shalom. And it existed with God and Adam and Eve when all was as it should be. But it didn't last forever because we know the story. We know that uh, Adam and Eve chose to disobey and they broke it. They had peace and they broke it. 
They had this beautiful thing given to them by God, and they broke it. And we, we might think that we would do better in a situation, and uh, I'll burst your bubble to say that, nah, you wouldn't. We wouldn't. And we have these situations in life where, you know, we have something good, and maybe that good thing lasts for a while, and then we break it. Nothing lasts forever of those things. And maybe it's not us that breaks it. Maybe it's a kid that breaks it because kids break stuff. That's just reality. Uh, but we might have had something that was good and then it gets broken. And sometimes that's even peace and quiet, right? You have peace and quiet. And that, that comes to mind when we think of peace, right? You can have that peace and quiet and then 30 seconds later, it's broken. Someone broke it. You can only have that peace and quiet for so long. Uh, might have had uh, a relational piece where something was good. There was no conflict. Everything was good. And then something happens, whether on us, whether on someone else, it's broken. And there's something in there that just isn't the same as it was before, and it takes work to get it back to where it was or to some place new. We look at that with uh, relationships between nations as well, is that there's been a lot of peace in our lifetime, but that's not everywhere in the world. And that peace exists for a while, and then it's broken. It's broken by someone's pride, by someone's uh, decisions, by someone's behaviors. It's broken. And we long for peace. We long for things to be as they were. We long for shalom as it was with, uh, with Adam and Eve at the beginning. And uh, we are not there yet, uh, but we are getting closer. We know the end of the story. We know the beginning of the story. We know that we will get to that shalom again at some point. We will come to a point where there is everlasting peace, everlasting shalom, where there is no more tears, there is no more conflict. We know that Jesus is coming back someday, and we will have that with him for those that choose to follow him and make him Lord of their lives. So we know that that's where we're going. We know that that is the end result, is that we started with shalom, it got broke, and it will end with shalom. But we are not there yet. But we're also not at this first part with Adam and Eve. We're not at where shalom was broken and there's attempts to get back to it. There's uh, God working with humanity. Uh, but something really changed with Jesus. Jesus was the beginning of shalom, beginning of peace, entering into our world into a much more significant way. Not a permanent way yet. We're getting there. But it was the beginning of something. And so I want to look at that beginning a little bit more. Uh, seeing where it is that, uh, that we're going to end up because we're in process at this point. Jesus has begun something. He is the beginning of peace restored. And we're going to look first in uh, Isaiah because this was prophesied about of this, this, uh, this is who Jesus was as he was coming. And I love that was, we had that read for us already. So let's look at it a second time. Uh, just looking at these, these titles that are given, because that's where we get this notion of Prince of Peace. That's where it comes from first, is in Isaiah here, the Prince of Peace. So Isaiah chapter 9 is this chunk that is uh, spoken about proclaiming this one that was going to come, this Messiah, this Savior, this King who is going to come. And, and we get a picture of who he is, and then we get these titles at the end of the section, which talk about these characteristics that Jesus embodies. So let's read these. Uh, is Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. We see that, no, that, that one idea of peace as being not war, not conflict. There's more to it than just that. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Again, pointing towards what will be one day when uh, those elements of war are not needed anymore. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, and here's this list of names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. And then verse 7 continues, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So a couple things to, to take note in this is, is the trajectory we see. This is talking about Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Savior. He is coming. And, and the, as it talks about the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this is, this is going to be complete, but it also talks about this, uh, the process of it, that it is, it's uh, a continuing. And now in, in NIV, it says the greatness of his government. Uh, in a, if you're reading probably an ESV or NASB, it's going to probably say something more like the increase of his government. And that, that, that kind of image is helpful here, that we know that Jesus began something. He's the beginning of shalom. He's the beginning of peace, but it's going to increase because it's coming to something that is the final peace when Jesus returns and all is made as it should be. From that, so this is, and then this is at the end of verse 7. From that time on and forever. From Jesus and building on and forever. But notice this part at the end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we're in this increasing part right now. We're in the time after Jesus. And so we know that this potential of shalom as increasing, as growing, as building towards something, as God's kingdom is working itself out. And we're, we're evidence of that because we're not uh, we're not over in Israel still. We're not where Jesus was born. We're across the globe a couple thousand years later, and this message has spread. So we can see that this uh, message of peace has grown because we are the evidence of that, the outworking of that. So we're in this increasing part, and it's not perfect. Some resist it. It's not yet complete. Some embrace, uh, and some will push against. But Jesus has begun the rescue mission, the rescue mission. And so this piece at the end here of the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. What I want to point out for us is that God is at the center of the increase of shalom. It is not on our initiative. It is on God's initiative. And we can see that the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish that. So this is, this is where we see it first, but we're going to see this show up with Jesus as well. So let's, let's jump to that part where we see Jesus actually living this out and proclaiming uh, his initiative into it as well. So you're going to find this in John chapter 14. Let's go there. John chapter 14 and verse 27 is where we're going to sort of begin in that section. So in this, in this part of John, uh, 
the story of Jesus at this point is he's, he's getting close. He's getting closer to Jerusalem, getting closer to where he's going to be uh, going to the cross. And he recognizes this. And so he's kind of putting things in place at the end here to reassure his disciples. Like it's kind of the recap, the follow-up at the end of the semester of these are the things that are going to be on the exam, just so you know, like be looking for these things. So he's making, uh, making the point towards that. And uh, in some of this, he's, he's, he's reaffirming them about things he's told them about what's going to be. And then he takes even time to pray for his disciples. How fantastic is that? And if you read through that, you'll see that he prays for us in here as well, because he prays about those that are yet to come. So with that kind of on, uh, on, the, back of his, on the back of your mind, uh, where we come to in this is uh, um, Jesus talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So before we get to 27, let me just say from verse 15 in chapter 14, uh, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, he's, so with this, he's setting this up. Holy Spirit is going to be coming because I am going to be going, and the Holy Spirit will be for everyone. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus says in another spot, this is just as an aside, that uh, it's better for him to go away. And you know, that would seem odd if you had Jesus beside you, like, well, that doesn't seem good, Jesus. You've done a lot of amazing things. I'd rather just have you beside me. But Jesus was a physical person at a physical time in a physical space, so he can't be with everyone in the world all at once. So it was better that he was to go away because then he gave the Holy Spirit so that we can all be, uh, have God's presence in us through the Holy Spirit, even if Jesus is not physically beside us. Holy Spirit is coming. So that brings us then, if we skip down to verse 27. Uh, verse 26, he says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And then he gives this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. My peace I give to you. Do you see the initiative there? It is a gift. It's given by Jesus. Peace is given by Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. It's getting us closer to what I really want to say about this. But I want to point out that Jesus doubles down on this and kind of puts a bookend in it as well. Because this section is kind of big as he's talking to his disciples and as he is uh, giving them this recap. And then as he's uh, praying for them uh, a little bit later on. Then he says in chapter 16, verse 33, if you want to just read that one verse. This is kind of a bookend here. It says, I have told you these things so that, you may, that, so that in me you may have peace. And then this wonderful line, which is uh, just fantastic to cling on to. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But that first part of that sentence, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. Our peace is rooted in God's initiative, but even more so in the character and presence of God. Shalom is rooted in God's presence. So shalom is not just uh, related to conflict. Peace is not related to just quietness, to when things are at ease. It is a little bit deeper than that. It's not just to when the wars cease. It's not just to the calmness of the storm. It is not just quietness. 
Shalom has this, uh, this notion of, of harmony, of completeness, of the presence of God being there. And it brings about a sense of complete, of unity, of things as they once were with Adam and Eve, when relationship was whole and, and uh, without entanglement, without any hindrances, it was as it absolutely should be. So there's a couple definitions that, uh, that I came across when looking at shalom that, that I feel are helpful for this. So there's one from a Bible dictionary that I've often used. It says, uh, shalom is the presence of God, not the absence of conflict. It is, and then another one, uh, to live in right relationship with God, self, neighbor, and creation. It is this whole sense of everything being as it should be, a sense of unity with God, a sense of God's presence, a sense of harmony of things operating as they should. And now I want to, uh, I was thinking of how, how do you explain what this looks like when we think of harmony? What's the, because there's there's, there is an emotional side of shalom as far as what it feels like. Uh, and it's not just the peace and quiet. There's something more to it. And the, the psalmists are, are on to this because they're artists and uh, they write poet and David wrote poetry. And so with those sorts of things, uh, oftentimes they try and come to the emotion of uh, a, a concept, a concept, or an idea. And so in this Psalm 133, it's not the exact word shalom used in this one, but it's the, it's the notion, it's the, uh, it's the sense of what shalom is wrapping up. Psalm 133, it's a song of ascent, so going up to uh, Jerusalem. And it's short. It says, How good and pleasant it is when, people, when God's people live together in unity. It's together. So that's the point they make. And then, and then this, uh, this image. It is like precious oil poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. So that all just captured up as what shalom is. And now this is the problem for us, is that we don't do a lot of uh, oil anointing anymore. And so as you're thinking about oil running down the head and on the beard and the collar, it sounds like a mess. Uh, maybe not so much harmony. So let me try and offer a couple other images that maybe land for us a little bit closer uh, of what I believe this completeness, this harmony can kind of look like. It's not an, like this is a, an idea of an image. It's not the complete sense of it. So if uh, oil running down the beard, running down to head doesn't quite do it for you, think about, for those of you that are more mechanical, a machine that works together as it should. Gears turning, meshing, exactly how, how they should. Everything operating within the tolerances and the clearances as it should. And everything missing each other when they should, but when one pin comes out of place, when one uh, tooth is broken, the whole thing comes crashing down, one slip of a gear, and the thing is not in harmony as it should. Or consider a band or an orchestra that's playing together uh, in perfect harmony, in perfect union, fitting in where they belong, the different pieces that all come together, and the sound of it is good, and we love to hear that. But when one person's a little bit out, when one instrument isn't tuned as it should, the harmony is broken, the completeness is not there. Or perhaps it's a team that has figured out how to work together absolutely perfectly. They know where each other's going to be on the court, on the ice, on the field, whatever it is. And the pass goes to exactly where the person's going to be. It's a perfect bump, set, and hit. It's a perfect tic-tac-toe, and the puck goes in the net. But when one person's out of sync with it, 
Everything comes crashing down. It does not come together. There is no harmony. There is no completeness. Or maybe it's much more like a drama and we think about our kids practicing when everyone knows their lines and they've got it so good that their, uh, their timing is perfect and they come in one after the other and we see the whole picture of the play played out and we can grasp the joy in that and it's not stunted and wondering, oh, how's this going to go? It is harmony. It's the fullness. It's the picture of everything coming together. Or maybe even more like a, uh, a kitchen staff you think of all the clatter, the noise that might happen behind those doors, but as that staff knows how to work together and amongst all of these uh, hot <laughs> objects, amongst uh, sharp items, that they can produce something that is beautiful. The aroma of it, the taste of it is fantastic because they can work in harmony together, doing what they need to do. There's a completeness that comes in that. This view of shalom conveys an emotion, and, and we can kind of think of where that harmony fits for you, and, and you know when that emotion's broken, it's kind of a, ugh, it just grates against you. But when it's working right, you just have this, ah, that's how it ought to be. And that's only just a piece of what shalom is. We can imagine what that motion is and know what that harmony might look like, but we know when it's broken as well. But the fullness of this is even more because shalom is rooted in the presence of God. It's rooted in God's initiative and what he's doing. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God. As those definitions pointed out, it's not just when conflict ceases. Shalom is when we're in right relationship with God, with self, with neighbor, with all this creation that God has made. And Jesus is the beginning of that in a new way. Of what we'll see one day that will be complete, but he's the beginning of that initiative, of that happening, of that growing as God's kingdom grows and we see his shalom grow through his people that follow him as well. And we're not quite there yet. We will get there one day and we will have that full sense of shalom. We are getting closer. We long for peace. We long for peace of mind when things are difficult. We long for peace from conflict interpersonally. We long for peace from uh, conflict uh, nationally when we think of that as well. Nobody wants to engage with those things. Nobody wants that to be the way of life that you are constantly in. We have a sense of longing for, uh, for peace, but shalom is even more than just that absence of conflict. Shalom is the presence of God. And if it is that, then it is something that we can strive towards, something that we can accomplish more than just trying to make things right on our own. It is something that we can land on because it is rooted in God's initiative, but in God's presence as well. So if you come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can live in peace because Jesus offers this. When we seek God with all of our hearts, we can live in peace. When our hearts beat in sync with God's heart, caring for the things that he cares for, our hands serving as God's hand, hands, helping where God is working. When our voice is as God's voice, proclaiming truth and speaking encouragement where God is working and opening ears already, we can live in peace. When we seek his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we can live in shalom. So I want to fully recognize, friends, that we are not there yet. We are not at the point of having perfect peace for all time. And if you sense that need for shalom in your own life, even, wherever you're at, 
as we face difficulty, as we operate in this world of things not being yet as they should be. Don't busy yourself with, uh, with ordering things to seek peace, with trying to put everything in order yourself. Seek God. And shalom will follow. Seek him, because shalom is more than just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are shalom. That you, in designing this world we operate in, built shalom in, and it is good. Thank you that you desire that relationship with us, that fullness, that completeness, that harmony, that unity. And you're getting us closer. You're getting us closer in the way we operate now. You're getting us closer in knowing that one day you are coming back to establish that forever. And we look forward to that. Make us mindful of those around us who we can invite and draw into that shalom as well. And for each of us here, God, as uh, we have these lives lived in this incomplete and imperfect world right now, God, would you, would you give us the peace that we need? You keep our eyes focused on you to attain that because it is only in you that we find that, God. Thank you that you began, you began something fantastic with Jesus, that we can have, we can have a piece of that shalom now knowing that it'll be even more complete one day. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.